So I visited Korea five years ago. Um, five years ago, wow, that was quick. Five years ago, and I, during my visit, I had lunch with uh, my mom's friend and her, and her daughter, right? Um, these, the, the, the mother and daughter that we had, my mom and I had lunch with, they're the wife and daughter of one of my dad's best friends, right? And so I was, so we were raised in Virginia together, so we were really close. So I haven't seen the daughter. She's around my age. I haven't seen the daughter since I became a pastor. It's been years since I saw her. And in the interim years, I became a pastor and she became a Christian, right? And the fact that she had so many questions about the Christian faith and about, about the Bible. So all throughout lunch, my mom and her mom were talking, and me and her were like feverishly talking about the Bible, right? She was, my friend was asking me question after question after question. My mom got real, after a while, my mom got really annoyed. And she said to my friend, look, the, Bible, the faith is not about having all your questions answered. It is about simple belief that just closed, shut down the conversation then and there. My mom said, faith is not about having all your questions answered. It is about simple belief. Who am I to rebuke my mom, right? And certainly, there's, a truth, to, there's truth to what she says. Christianity, you don't, become, you don't have faith by having all your questions answered. All the theological, biblical knowledge will not give you saving faith. It's true. And the prime example of this is, is, a, is, is an example of Stalin. Joseph Stalin murdered 20 million of his own people in the, in, in the early 20th century. He killed 20 million people. That's like half the population of Korea. He killed them because he wanted to make a world consistent with his ideology, and he wanted to have power. So he killed 20 million people. Oftentimes, he beg, he, the way he killed them was he would just dig, dig, dig a huge hole and just push people in the hole and, and, just, and just bury them alive. He's a horrible monster. Stalin, when he was a young man, wanted to be a priest. He's really well read in theology. He memorized word for word all four Gospels, including John. Do you know how hard it is to memorize the gospel of the entire gospel, the four gospels, word for word? If there is one person who had theological and biblical knowledge, it would be Joseph Stalin. But his knowledge didn't make him out to be a Christian. He became one of the grossest murderers in the history of humanity. So it's true. Knowledge, as my mom says, having all your questions answered will not give you faith. But faith does come through receiving knowledge. Even though all the answers of the world will not give you faith, Faith comes through 
information and understanding. God uses simple language, our English language, or Korean language, or whoever it is. God uses these languages that we understand to communicate his gospel to us. And that is how we come to saving faith. What is the definition of faith? Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is assurance of things hoped for and being certain of things unseen. Hope is knowing for sure that your sins have been forgiven, that in Christ, that you are a child of God. And as a child of God, this earth, the new heaven and the earth, belongs to you as heirs to his kingdom. That's the hope that the Hebrew writer talks about. Certainty of invisible things. What is the invisible things the Hebrew writer is talking about? He's talking about such truth as God created the heavens and the earth. Even though you were not there to see God do his created work, if you have faith, you know, even though you did not see with your own eyes, God created the heavens and the earth. In faith, you know for certain, right, that not only did God created it, he sustains the world. In faith, you know that he sustains your life. He's weaving his work in your life. And in faith, you are certain that after this world is over, you will be with him. That's the certainty that Paul talks about. How do you get this assurance and certainty? Through understanding his word. The gospel being preached in a language that you will understand. That's how he saved you and me. A few examples. Parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4. Jesus is saying through this parable that the kingdom of God is, expands and an individual becomes a fruitful, like a fruitful person in the eyes of God as they hear God's word. Jesus says, when the word of God enters you properly and correctly, that word bears much fruit in your life. Another example, Acts chapter 8. There was an Ethiopian eunuch who, had the scroll, who bought the scroll of Isaiah. There's a part, the scroll is like the, how they, you know, the Bible was in a form of a scroll, Right? So this Ethiopian eunuch bought a scroll of Isaiah. But being Ethiopian and the scroll being written in Aramaic, he couldn't read it. He couldn't understand it. What happens? God sends Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip explains the Isaiah scroll to the eunuch in a language that the Ethiopian can understand. Ethiopian then becomes, his mind becomes open and he becomes saved. That is how faith, saving faith works. Hearing God's word in a language that you will understand, in the manner in which that you will understand. Holy Spirit using that intelligible words to bring about assurance and certainty within you. That's the model of salvation in Scripture. Not only are words, intelligible words, 
the mode in which God saves us. It's the mode in which God matures us. Right? Many people believe that um, saving faith, right? Saving faith comes from supernatural experiences. Maturity comes from supernatural experiences. It does not. Saving faith, like I said, comes from hearing the intelligent God's word. Saving faith and also maturing faith also comes as you consistently hear God's word. In verse 20, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. We covered this a little bit last week, but let's cover it again a little bit again this week. Paul is telling the Corinthians, in your thinking, you must be mature. Stop being infants, be infants of evil, which means be like, infants means maturity, right? Be immature in terms of doing evil, meaning don't let evil overrun you. Be mature in your thinking. The reason Paul tells the Corinthians that their thinking must be mature is because their thinking were like children. How were their thinking like being like children? They were being like children because they were putting emphasis on the wrong things. They were emphasizing supernatural things like tongues and prophecies and healings. And they were ignoring morality, obedience. Here they were arguing about you know, who had the best gift. And yet they had no problem approving someone who were, in, who were living an incredibly immoral lifestyle. In verse, in chapter 5, is it? Paul says, you guys are approving a lifestyle of this man whom even the unbelievers find disgusting. But you're allowing this man to exist among you. You're approving in what he does. They're okay with his immorality. They were constantly fighting, suing each other in court. Right? They were, they, 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 they were, there were sections. One followed Paul, one followed Paul. They were divisive. And yet they thought they were mature because they had spiritual gifts. They were experts in evil, but immature in thinking. Just because you're gifted, it doesn't mean that you're mature. Paul says gifting doesn't matter. Maturity matters. How do you mature as a Christian? You mature as a Christian as your thinking becomes mature. How does your thinking become mature? You need two things. You need a bigger, deeper understanding of God. Not only that, not only a head knowledge of God, you need to be able to personalize this knowledge that you have. In order to be, have a mature thinking, you need to constantly have a bigger, deeper knowledge of who God is, and also a personal knowledge in the light of the knowledge of this deeper knowledge of God that you have. The way your thoughts become mature, first of all, 
It involves hard work. It involves you actually setting up time, opening up the Bible, and studying it systematically. You just don't open up the Bible to find out inspirational verses that will get you through the day. I guess there's a time and place for that, but that's not how your thinking becomes mature. You actually need to do the work, open up the Bible, and systematically study it because the Bible is not really about you or me. The Bible is about God. And if you don't understand the passage of the Bible, there, is tr- there are tremendous help, right? Just, sometimes when I do my quiet times, if there's a passage that I don't understand, you know what I do? I just, YouTube, I just search YouTube for that Bible verse and sermons and commentary comes up every time. They are tools that are available to you to study. They are books, podcasts, sermons that is readily available in your phone that will help you understand who God is. You cannot have maturity unless you have a bigger, wider, deeper understanding of God. You can, it does not happen. And not only do you need to have this constantly study it, but you need to also constantly reflect who you are in the light of what you know about God. Quantum physics brings me closer to God every time I search YouTube. These boring, incomprehensible portions of the Bible makes me draw closer to God as I study it. Half my time I spend in my time in my prayers telling God who He is, telling God my understanding of who He is. As I tell God my understanding of who He is, He makes me look inside of me to see whether I truly live in the light of what I just told God that, that I know who He is. Prayer is not just praying for your needs. It is a meditation, examination of the knowledge of God in your life. And you need to constantly do this to mature. Maturity does not come any other way. It comes with a deepening of that understanding of God and your personal knowledge of Him. Oftentimes people separate, right? People separate Bible theological knowledge and personal knowledge. We separate. That separation is false. The deeper knowledge of God must lead you to a more personal understanding of who He is. There is no such thing as an experiential knowledge of God and separate from the true the theological knowledge of God. The theological knowledge of God must always lead to experiential knowledge of God, and that experiential, experiential knowledge of God leads you back to a deeper theological understanding of who He is. True knowledge of God leads you to a, like a personal understanding of Him. Personal understanding of Him, in, in turn, goes back to make you have a deeper understanding, theological knowledge of God. That's how it works. You cannot separate the two. Give you a couple of examples. Karl Barth. 
He is the most renowned theologian in, in the middle of the last century. Karl Barth was a brain. He wrote volumes of work. All his work are just volumes of books this thick. And you don't understand, like, he's German, and even the English translation version, I try to read it, I have no idea what that guy is talking about. He is one of the most influential Christian thinkers in the 20th century. He was giving a lecture, I think, at the University of Chicago. And someone asked Mr. Bart, Mr. Bart, if you can summarize the Bible in one, in one sentence, what can you say? Karl Barth looks at him. He says, the Bible is about Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. The brilliant mind who, work, who wrote volumes of work understand the entirety of the Bible and entirety of theology summarized by this children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The more he studies, the more he writes, the more certain of this truth he becomes to him. Theological knowledge leads to a personal knowledge of who Jesus is. That's how your thoughts mature. We think somehow, in order for me to know God, I need more supernatural experiences. That's what the Corinthians were thinking. Corinthians were thinking, in order for me to have a more personal knowledge of God, I need more supernatural experiences. Paul is telling them, no, that's not how it works. Mature thinking Deeper thinking about God leads you to maturity. Let's go talk about my friend that I had lunch with in the beginning of the story. She tells me, she's really smart, right? She's really smart, but all her life, she wanted a Christian experience. Right? She wanted, she read the, she, she wanted a Christian, she wanted the supernatural experience. She wanted that experience where, you know those, like, if, if you go to a charismatic um, like a conference or something, you see this. Like, like you, they're, they're preachers, and you know, they say, in the name of Jesus, and they, and they touch the forehead, and the people just like fall, right? She thought that if she had that kind of experience, that her faith will mature, that Jesus will become real, and her faith will become real. So she sought out that type of experience. She wanted a pastor to touch her forehead, and she wanted to fall. So she, one time she went to a Benny Hinn conference. Benny Hinn is like the most famous charismatic televangelist out there, right? And evidently Benny Hinn is so powerful, he doesn't need to even touch you. He doesn't even need to touch you for you to fall. He can just point to you and people fall. So she was at a conference. Benny Hinn came out. And Benny Hinn says, in the name of Jesus, that section, and, and, and the people in the entire section, they fell. Man, power. And she's, Benny says, in the name of that section, people, and that people fell, but my friend was in the section right like, next to that section. So she missed that power. So she saw people in the next section, like section above her, like fell out, but she, she didn't fall. And she goes, oh, I wish it would happen to me. Then she got her chance. Because in the church that she was, she was serving, 
there was a known, you know, like a, this kind of guy coming to her church. She got so excited. And, she st- and after the sermon, you know, like, you know, after the retreat sermon, like, they sat in line for that experience. And she got in line. She was so excited. Right? Right? And then, and then it was her turn. And she told her friend behind her, she says, if, when he touches me, please catch me. The son, and the friend goes, I got you. And the preacher goes, in the name of Jesus. And he touched her forehead. You know what happened? She fell. But the problem was the pe- friend behind her didn't catch her. So in the name of Jesus, she fell, and the guy didn't catch her, and then she just, like, fell to the ground. She woke up, and she said, this is it? I thought this experience would give me maturity. This is it? You know what she did? She went back home, started reading Romans for a month. Every time she read it, she cried. She cried reading Romans for a month. And after that month, faith became a certainty. We think personal experiences can give us certainty and maturity. They do not. Deeper knowledge of God does. If you are not certain about Jesus speaking to you, if you are not, if you're not trusting him, if you're not following him, the most likely reason is because you don't have a deep knowledge of who he is. You're not doing the work. Most Christians I know have a very shallow understanding of who Jesus is. Their understanding of Jesus has never evolved from their childhood. The Jesus that they heard about in middle school and high school, it stopped there. There isn't any more deeper understanding of who Jesus is. There is no seeking after the knowledge of God to them. Their knowledge becomes just shallow. They may have spiritual experiences once in a while, but because their understanding of Jesus still remains shallow, their faith is not really real. If you're not following him, if you're not loving him, if you're not trusting in him, it's because I may say, dare I say, it's because your knowledge of him is very shallow. You try to substitute, I don't know, by serving, by, by doing things. You try to substitute that knowledge by personal things. But there's no substitute of knowing God, pers- like, th- like knowing God intellectually, intelligibly. Part of the reason, I think, is because pastors, they're doing a bad job teaching you the full knowledge of God. Pastors tell their congregations, you must love Jesus. You must surrender to God. You must trust God. You must follow God. They keep telling us, we must love, we must surrender, we must follow, we must trust. But they do a really bad job telling us who we are supposed to follow and trust and love. How am I supposed to follow someone that I don't know? 
How am I supposed to surrender my life to someone that I don't know? How am I to love someone that I don't know? You know? Maturity takes work, y'all. You cannot be mature by not seeking after him intellectually through his word. You cannot. It doesn't happen that way. And if your thinking becomes, it's not mature, then you'll be mature in doing evil. If your understanding of him doesn't deepen, your, your ability to do sin ever increases. The reason why God judges the world is because people who do not listen to him commit sin. Ignorance of the knowledge of God leads you to sin that does destructive things in the world. That's why the judgment of God is coming. That's what Paul talks about in verse 21. Verse 21, Paul says something very out of place and weird. It, he, suddenly he says in verse 21, verse 21 in, oh, I'm sorry, verse 22, in the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to, to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. When he was talking about tongues, out of nowhere he quotes this Bible verse. Why? I will tell you why, because that's my job. Paul is, this verse comes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. What is happening in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11? A little bit of background, a little bit of Old Testament background. The nation of Israel, what makes the nation of Israel so special and unique in the history of mankind is because God chose that particular group of people to communicate and reveal who he is through his law. God is this incomprehensible, sovereign being. There is no way that human beings can understand who he is unless he reveals himself to us in a language that we understand. And that's what exactly what God did in Israel. This sovereign God who controls all things, sustains all things, took the nation of Israel and gave them his law in a language they will understand. It's like you looking at ants, and you love those ants so much that you choose to study ant language and reveal, the human, you reveal yourself to those ants in a language they will understand. Israel was the only nation who had the privilege of having this revealed word of God in their midst. What a privilege it is. But the Israelites did not think it was a privilege. Once God established that nation, once, that God, once God made that nation prosperous, they started to look, they, they didn't want the revealed word of God. They wanted the gods of their, the dead gods of their neighbors. And from Solomon on, they try to they ignore they ignore the word of God and embrace the idols of the dead na of the nations around them. As a result, 
the nation of Israel was divided into two. From Solomon on, the nation of Israel was divided into two. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up, made up out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Ten tribes made up the northern kingdom. And that northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom made up of two tribes of, two, two tribes of the, the, the sons of Jacob. right? It was called Judah. So, so Israel had his own king. Judah had his own king. By the way, Jesus is from the line of Judah, by the way. Right? So, right? And so the nation was divided. They were conquered. They were fighting. And God continually sent prophets to them. And these prophets declared the will of God in a language that they will understand. Repent and turn from your ways. Repent and turn from your ways. Prophets keep on telling Israel and Judah to repent and turn from your ways and embrace the living God. Even though that message was clearly, simply communicated, Israel did not listen. In the eyes of the Israelites and the Israelites, these prophets, they were like, blah, 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 I'm not going to listen, blah, blah, blah. It was meaningless noise to them. So what did God do? God sends a foreign nation to judge them. To the northern kingdom, God sends the Assyrians to judge them. And the Assyrians destroy Israel, held Israel captive. God sends the Babylonians to capture Judah. Verse 28, that's the background of verse 28. The foreign tongues that, Paul, that Isaiah talks about are the Assyrians and the Babylonians. God is warning, Isaiah is telling the Israelites, because you do not listen to the word of God, foreigners with foreign tongues are going to destroy, God's going to judge you through the foreign nations with people with foreign tongues. The tongues that Isaiah talks about in, 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 in chapter, chapter 28, verse 11, is about foreigners dominating and capturing and destroying Israelites because they would not listen to the voice of God. Tongues, therefore, Paul says, are a sign of judgment. Tongues is a language. Tongues and language that you do not understand. Unbelievers are subject to judgment because they do not understand the voice of God. Romans chapter 1, God reveals himself plainly to everyone, but unbelievers suppress the knowledge of God and they exchange the truth of God for a lie, which means basically, even though God makes himself plainly to everyone, Unbelievers refuse to listen to God. And because they refuse to listen to God, their hearts become dark, their thinking becomes futile, and they do all sorts of horrible things. Unbelievers are subject to judgment because they refuse to listen to God. They refuse to understand God. They refuse to hear His voice. That's why the judgment is coming. Paul, in verse, what, in verse, what verse is it? In verse 22, 
says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. What does that mean? He says, tongue, verse 22, he says, 22, he says tongues, are not, not, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. This is what he means. He says, let's say, so an unbeliever is subject to judgment because they refuse to listen to the voice of God and they act all crazy, right? Such a person, let's say such a person visits your church. And if such a person visits your church, and if all your church is doing is speaking unintelligible words in tongues, how would that unbeliever understand the gospel and be saved? The only way that unbeliever who refused to listen to the voice of God can be saved is by intelligently understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's how the unbeliever becomes saved. An unbeliever who refuses to listen to God becomes saved when the gospel is intelligently preached to them. But if that unbeliever visits your church, and all your church is doing is speaking in an unintelligible language, how in the world will that person listen to the gospel and be saved? Look, the reason Paul is telling, telling the Corinthians this is because the Corinthians thought, right, that tongues were for unbelievers. Meaning this, they thought because a lot of the Corinthians were pagans, and pagan worship involved supernatural experiences, they thought if an unbelieving pagan comes to the Corinthian church, and if they see supernatural things happening in the church, such as tongues, if an unbeliever sees a supernatural thing happening in the church, then they believe that that unbeliever will think that God, God is real and they be converted. Do you understand? They think the unbelievers looking at supernatural occurrences will be enough to convert them to Christianity. That's why a lot of the people who spoke in tongues in Corinth thought supernatural things like tongues were for the unbeliever to convert them. Paul is saying, no, it's the, it's the opposite. If an unbeliever comes to your church, and if he or she has no idea what you're talking about, they will not be, how, how can they be saved? They will think that you're out of your mind. Therefore, unbelievers, therefore tongues are a sign for unbelievers. They will still remain in judgment. If you, pre, if you pray in tongues in front of an unbeliever, they're still subject to judgment because they're not going to know what you're talking about. How do you convert an unbeliever? It's not just sharing your personal story about who Jesus is. It's not just sharing your story about your supernatural experience. That's not how you convert an unbeliever. You convert an unbeliever but speaking the gospel plainly to them in a language and a manner which they will understand. Paul says in verse 22, tongues are not for a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is, is, is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. What in the world is he talking about here? He says prophecy is a sign for believers. What is prophecy? Prophecy is, I think, if, if you can simply, the way it works, 
prophets hear the voice of God and they speak the voice of God. God communicates with them and then you communicate what God has revealed to other people. That's what, a, that, that's what prophets do. I think, so prophecy, it means you listen to the voice of God and you speak the words of God to others. Jesus, like I said in the call of worship, Jesus says, my sheep hears my voice. Which means if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you will be able to listen to the voice of God. You will. And I'm not talking about, like, hearing voices in your head. I'm not talking about physically listening, hearing voices in your head. When Jesus says, my, my sheep will hear my voice, he means my sheep will understand who I am. How do you understand who he is? Through the, through the scripture. And as you understand who he is through the scripture, you communicate what you understand about who he is to other people. That's what a prophet does. So a prophet is not just reserved for a special group of people. All believers are prophets because they hear the voice of God through the understanding of Scripture, and they have the ability to communicate this to the people around you. That's our job as a Christian. We're blessed with the understanding of the voice of Jesus Christ, the Scripture. And we speak to each other. As, as God reveals. God speaks to me daily. Do you know that? He speaks to me when, I, when I'm preparing sermons, when I'm writing. Oh, man. All these verses come into my brain. All the verses that I didn't think of when I first like, studied the passage, as I, as I write, these, voice, these scriptures, these ideas come based on his word. As I counsel people, as I listen to them, God gives me, God reminds me of scripture and sermons that I listened to back in the day. And these things give me a perspective of how I should counsel people. I was, I was in a very bad shape in November. Professionally, in November, last month, this was the most horrible, um, no, this is November, October was horrible for me. Right? October, November was really bad for me. And I was in a deep spiritual rut, especially yesterday. I was in a very bad place. But then I talked to my mom. And my mom said, have you heard of this like, elder? in the Northern Virginia area. And I go, yeah. And she says, I've listened to his testimonies and that gave me real good hope. So what did I do yesterday? As I was working, I was listening to the guy's testimony. That guy's testimony of the reality of God in his life brought me out of my funk. That's prophecy. God's will being revealed to you, God's voice being revealed to you every day. 
Do you know what that happens to you? The more you're exposed to his word, the more you are studying his word, the more you are saturated with him, you really do start to understand who he is and he gives you understanding about a particular situation. And when that happens, you can communicate that to other Christians. And when you do, that, that Christian grows. That's what I think Paul means when he says prophecy are a sign for believers. If you are a, prof- if you are a Christian, you'll be able to listen to God's voice through understanding. And the fact that you're able to do that is a sign that you are a believer. Paul says, if an unbeliever walks into a church, and when fellow Christians, prophecy like that communicates the will of God, the voice of God intelligibly in a language that they will understand, when an unbeliever listens to this prophecy, They will know that they are in judgment. They will know the secrets of their sins. And they will repent and they will worship God. When Christians mutually communicate the will of God to each other, and when an unbeliever listens to that, that's how they become saved. Remember Beckett Cook? I was in in a big Beckett Cook phase last year, right? He's a guy who was, who was you know, a former homosexual, and then he, was, he had a dramatic conversion experience, right? You know how that conversion experience happened? He was at a hipster coffee shop in L.A. Him and his unbelieving like, par- like partner was, like, was talking, and right next to them in a table, a group of Christians from Reality L.A., they were young people like yourselves. They were having a Bible study at the cafe. Beckett Cook listened to what they were saying, and that, that intrigued him. They were studying, these group of young Christians were studying the Bible together. That teaching influenced him to go to that church, and he was saved as a result of it. Your, pers- your deepening of understanding of God, God will use to convert other people. Quiet time is not just for you and God, it's for other people as well. Because the more you have an understanding of God, the more God can use you to convert others. So it is not only a good religious practice to do, it is for the sake of missions that you must study God's word. Do you understand? I think... Studying him, pursuing after the knowledge of him is how it's one of the main ways that you fulfill the Great Commission. But if your ears are closed to him every day because you're so busy, you are not living the Great Commission. Because how can God use you to convert others if you do not listen, if you don't have an understanding of who he is? How will you prophesy if you have no idea who he is? I am challenging you for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the strength of our church. Every day, pursue God who will make himself available to you intelligibly. Do the work. Say no to those other priorities and do the work for the sake of the kingdom of God.
if you're not doing it. I'm really sorry to say, what, what use are we? Pursue after maturity so that God can use you to save others. Let's pray. Lord, I think a lot of us are guilty of thinking that reading the Bible is just good religious practice that benefits our souls. But we have never really thought of it in a more comprehensive way. Father, studying really, having a serious study, studying you seriously and pursuing you fervently produces much fruit. It produces fruit in us as well as you, we, can, we become useful tools to you in the spreading of your gospel. The world needs men and women who know you maturely. Our families and our friends and our unbelieving co-workers need people who have a mature understanding of who you are. If we have an immature, childish, infant understanding of you, how can, be of, how can we be of use to you? Father, because you make your voice readily available to us, Satan is threatened. The world is threatened. Therefore, Satan and the world will throw all the distractions in the world at us so that we will, not, we will be satisfied in our infantile understanding of you. Help us fight against such things. Make us serious pursuers of the knowledge of God. Help us not to think that the knowledge of God just automatically comes when we do nothing. That doesn't, that's not how it worked, Lord, you know. You gave us your word so that we can diligently pursue the understanding of you. You gave us the English language. You gave us the internet so that we will have all the tools that will help us to have a deepening understanding of who you are. May we not be useless servants, Lord but may, we, may you sharpen us as our understanding of you deepens. As our understanding of you deepens, Lord, make us experience more of your power in our lives. As our understanding deepens, Lord, may we be the source of power to convert unbelievers. We pray, Lord, for, all the, for those of us who are suffering in various trials. There are so many of us who are suffering. We have parents, Lord, who are, who are just in serious, dire physical conditions. We have parents whose spouses have passed away. We have people who are unemployed and lonely in this pandemic. 
We are people who are lost. We have sons who have fathers with cancers. We are all experiencing the temporary fallenness of this world. It has become so real to so many of us in this season. But we recognize, Lord, the only hope in these dire situations is for us to have a personal, comprehensive understanding of who you are and your sovereignty. May you reveal yourself to all of us who are suffering so that may that understanding gives us hope beyond what we see. We thank you for this time. All this in Jesus' name we pray.